Good morning. It is so good to uh, address this vast crowd of people today. <laughs> yes, I know, it is a holiday weekend. Thank you for not going to the lake today. <laughs> we are glad that you are here today. We, are, we do welcome you here and, uh, and are blessed to have you. And we're blessed to be together as we worship God together. And we're grateful for that. And we welcome our guests especially. You're very important to us and we're glad that you are here with us today. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets. Uh, we'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to fill those out and pass those down the aisle so others can fill it out as well. If you would do that, we would certainly appreciate it. A few announcements that we have coming up. Uh, we will be having a children's water day on July the 31st and uh, We're going to be having uh, lunch right after the worship service and then going out into the yard, and they'll have a slip and slide and water balloons and a lot of fun, things like that. So let's uh, put that on your your calendar. If you know some children that can be involved in that, uh, please bring them along. Also, you'll notice in in your uh, worship folder that we are changing our basketball program a little bit here at Community Baptist Church. I know it says uh, no more upward basketball, and that's true, but it doesn't mean no more basketball. Uh, We are just not going to be affiliating ourselves with the upward program, which is a a national program, uh, mostly because the expense has just really uh, gone up and up and up, and we feel like uh, it is putting some people out of uh, the ability to pay for uh, the program, which puts an additional burden on us as we've offered a lot of scholarships and things. And so we're going to kind of branch out on our own and do our own thing as far as basketball and cheerleading is concerned. But since we're not affiliating with Upward, we, we're not able to use their, uh, their brand on that. So we'll be doing our own thing uh, starting this year. Uh, however, it, we still need your help. So we will be looking for volunteers to help with our, our Upward. Nope, I'm sorry. It's going to be a hard habit to break. (laughs) Our CBC Hoops and Cheers program, that's what what it's going to be. Uh, Let me remind everyone that next Sunday we'll be having our Fellowship Cafe that will be, uh, uh, breakfast will be served by our senior adult class. And of course, every time we do that, we encourage people to bring in cereal for uh, the Christian Outreach. And let me bring you a report, uh, as, I, as I always do on the first Sunday of the week, on our Unleashed Capital Campaign program. Uh, through the month of June, an additional $46,434.25 has been added, has been placed towards the principal of our loan. So that is wonderful. And if you add that with our regular payments that we make every month, our principal has been reduced, I'm guessing a little bit here, somewhere, I think it's over $60,000 for the year. So that's wonderful. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for your your continued support of that. Uh, We are are eating that elephant one bite at a time, and uh, we're still... Chewing away at it, but we're making good progress. So thank you so much for that. Uh, let us stand now. Let's greet each other in the name of the Lord, and let's uh, let's share the love of Christ with one another.
In light of our holiday weekend and our celebration of Independence Day tomorrow, uh, our responsive reading is a, um, a list of quotations from uh, some of our leaders uh, in our history. So let's read responsibly together. Theodore Roosevelt. It is necessary for the welfare of the nation that people's lives be based on the principles of the Bible. No one, educated or uneducated, can afford to be ignorant of the Bible. George Washington, to the distinguished character of a patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of a Christian. John F. Abraham Lincoln, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and enriched us with strength. We have vainly imagined that all our blessings were produced by some wisdom and virtue of our own. We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. We love this land and we call home and honor those who sacrifice themselves to preserve its freedom. Yet we are but visitors here. 
There is something within us that urges us on to make to our true home, the kingdom of God, where we can be truly free because of the sacrifice of one man who we honor every day. We celebrate our human-made freedoms guaranteed by our Constitution, but mostly we celebrate our freedom in the one who has set us free indeed. Amen. Since we're about to celebrate Independence Day here in America, we're going to talk about what it means to be free. If you're independent, 
then you are free. But first we're going to see what it feels like not to be free. So I'd like for you guys to sit on your hands so you can't move them. Are they, are they under there? All right, good. All right, so I would like for you guys to scratch your nose without moving your hands. <laughs> kind of difficult, isn't it? Uh-oh. <laughs> now, since you, okay, so you can't scratch your nose easily. Maybe you can use your shoulder or your knee like Christine was doing. All right, so what if I tell you to pat your head without moving your hands? You can't pat your head because your hands are trapped. You are not free. So, could one of you guys tell me what it feels like to not be free, not be able to use your hands? We've got we've got audience back here. Yes, if you're in a different country, sometimes they're not free. Yes. Okay, and so what do you guys, what is it like to not be able to use your hands? Brittany said they're falling asleep. Okay. (laughs) 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 All right, now I'm going to let you go ahead and scratch your nose. You can can free your hands and scratch your nose. Your arm itches. Yes, so, so how does it feel to have your hands free? Better? Good. Nice relief. So every July 4th, the United States celebrates Independence Day. It's the anniversary of when we adopted the Declaration of Independence in 1776. All right. Um, I want you guys to sit on your hands again. Before the Declaration, the people who lived here were ruled by another country across the ocean. All right, I want you guys to wave your hands without moving them. In 1776, the people said, we're free. They said, we're independent. We're our own country. Now you guys can move your hands out from underneath you and you can wave them. Wave your hands. Move your hands. Did you know that if you believe in Jesus, you have an even better Independence Day to celebrate? So I'm going to open up. And read from you guys um, in the Bible where it says Second Corinthians thirteen seventeen. Now the Lord Jesus is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When we ask Jesus to forgive the bad things we've done, Jesus forgives us. We're free. Yes. So when you see flags or fireworks or parades celebrating the United States Independence Day, remember that the best freedom you have is where Jesus is. There is freedom. All right, so I would like for you to sun your hands one more time. Let us pray. Dear God, please hear us as we silently tell you the bad things we've done. Okay, kids, now you can free your hands. And wave them high. Thanks for the freedom of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you, children. Good job.
Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the spirit that you give us as we accept our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, into our hearts. We're mindful of those around us, those that we know that are struggling, that have issues in their lives, struggles, concerns, Lord. Pray that you be with them in a very special way. Comfort them, strengthen them, give them your peace, Lord. May they draw upon that. Use us as your ministers to convey that love that you've shown us. We thank you for the blessings you've given each of us, each community, each nation. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made through your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for family members that we know of past generations that have gone before us, that have also made sacrifices, Lord. 
We ask that you bless now the tithes that they may be used for the building of your kingdom. In the Lord Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture today is from John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The the slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, beautiful. 
skies for amber waves of green for purple mountains majesty above the fruited plain America America God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to to begin today by taking a look at some very important words. Do we have this, this graphic, Timmy? Oh, it's up there. All right, good. Um, let's read this together. Congress shall make no law 
respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. We have just read the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America. It is not scripture, but it is hard to imagine it coming from the mind of human beings without the benefit of scripture. And we will not say after reciting it that this is the word of the Lord, but we should say without any hesitation, thanks be to God. For you see, the First Amendment guarantees the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly, and the freedom to pursue justice. But the little-known secret of these words is that Baptists were the driving force behind them, especially the freedom of religion. So what I would like for us to do this morning is to take a look at how our Baptist forefathers and foremothers got to these truths and how we can remain true to them today. So a large part of today's sermon is a history lesson taken from our Baptist roots. You first need to know that our Baptist heritage comes from the separatist movement that trickled throughout parts of of Europe in the 1500s and 1600s. This was a movement that included Baptists and Quakers and Mennonites and others. And the reason they were called separatists is because they separated themselves from the state-sponsored Church of England and established autonomous local congregations with no connection to political or to church hierarchy. John Smith rejected the idea that British law required that every citizen be baptized as an infant and added to the roles of the Church of England. And he rejected the fact that the Church of England not only had religious authorities, but also authority over criminal and civil matters, even for those who did not espouse the Anglican faith. And so John Smith baptized himself. I would have liked to have seen that. But he baptized himself, and he began the first modern Baptist church in Amsterdam, away from the persecution of the Anglicans. Thomas Helwes was a part of his group, but he felt led to return to England, where he wrote a book in which he called for a complete tolerance of religion and the complete separation of church and state. He said, our king is only an earthly king and has no authority except in earthly matters. If the king's people obey all humane laws made by the king, the king can require no more. For a person's religion is between God and themselves. The king shall not answer for it, neither may the king be judged between God and a person. Let them be heretics or Turks, which is the word they use for Muslims, or Jews, or whatsoever, it is not the right of earthly powers to punish them in any way. For those words, Thomas Helwes was thrown into prison where he died. During the 1600s, many separatists and Puritans fled the persecution of the Anglican Church and moved to America. 
And for them, the, the old world was worn out with religious persecution. But in the new world, they felt that God was giving them an opportunity to establish God's kingdom on earth. But unfortunately, almost immediately when they got here, the persecuted became the persecutors. The Puritans specifically immediately did what they so stringently resisted in England. They joined the church with the powers of the state, and they passed laws that required people to adhere to their brand of Christianity. It would be like Congress suddenly passing a law today saying that all Americans must be Roman Catholic or Methodists or Mormons or Seventh-day Adventists or something like that, whatever. They did that. And they passed laws requiring church attendance at their church. They passed laws requiring adherence to their theological doctrines. And only their church members were given the right to vote, even in political matters. They even made it against the law to speak negatively against their pastors. And I see nothing wrong with that. But any deviation from these laws brought harsh punishment from the authorities. Not the church authorities, but the authorities of the government. For a minor infraction, provisions may be withheld for a period of time. Sometimes infractions would be met with public flogging or public humiliation as one was held in the stocks where people would be ridiculed and mocked having rotten vegetables and eggs and feces thrown at them. For the crime of blasphemy or, the, or speaking ill of their pastor, a hole was bored through their tongues with a hot iron. And so we need to know when we say that America was built on Christian principles, these are the kind of principles we're talking about. Principles of retribution and punishment simply for holding a different opinion. But that's what happens when you wed church and state. They gang up and they become bullies to those who have a different, a different ideas. It is the Christian version of what happened in Afghanistan when the Taliban gained political control there. This fundamentalist Muslim organization used the political power of the state to press its religious beliefs, and they severely punished anyone who did not follow. It is what ISIS is trying to do in Iraq and in Syria today. And you need to know that what happened there happened in our own country in its early days. And if we do not guard this cherished tradition of the separation of church and state, it could happen again. In Massachusetts, Henry Dunster, the first president of Harvard University, was removed from his position there by the power of the government simply because he did not agree with the idea of infant baptism. 
John Clark was put into prison. They publicly whipped Obadiah Holmes on Boston Common. In Connecticut, the state authorities there confiscated all of the lands and all of the possessions of our Baptist forefathers and foremothers and sold them simply because they were Baptists. And you know what the state government did with the money that they received from the sale of that Baptist property? They used it to build a Puritan church and to support a Puritan pastor. So in essence, they used the power of the state to steal our Baptist property and to use it for the Puritan religion. Many who persisted in non-compliance with the religious slash political authorities were banished from the region with the threat of death if they returned. In the Massachusetts Bay Colony, all Quakers were banished from their lands. Some came back, and many were hanged by the local government simply because They were Quakers. In 1635, Roger Williams was banished from Salem because he objected to the cozy relationship between the political authorities and the church authorities and the fact that they were punishing people simply because of their opinions. And so he established Providence, Rhode Island and the First Baptist Church of America. It's still there today. I got to go there last year. (laughs) That's a picture of your pastor standing behind the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of America. Because uh, because of Roger Williams' open-mindedness, Rhode Island became a place of refuge. It became a place where people of any religion or even no religion were welcomed with open arms. And that was a radical concept in those days. But folks, that's what happens when when church and state are too closely tied. With no one to challenge the church, it becomes entrenched in closed-minded thinking. And the state becomes the strong arm of oppression for a theologically narrow-minded church. The church becomes arrogant in thinking that it can do no wrong, and when in reality, an arrogant church of flagrantly throwing its weight around, abusing others because they disagree, foisting its narrow-minded thoughts on others. I don't know about you, but that's a church that I don't want to be a part of. The close relationship of church and state also causes the church to lose its ability to criticize the state and to hold its feet to the fire of justice. What happens is that when the church and the state are held together, 
mutually supporting one another and holding each other in, in adoration. When that relationship exists, the church dares not speak out against anything the state may do because it may lose its position of power. And thus, in its silence, it becomes a co-conspirator of injustice. That's exactly what happened in Germany leading up to World War II. During the 1920s and 30s, the up-and-coming Nazi party recognized that Germany had a strong tradition of Christianity. And so even though Hitler hated Christianity, like modern politicians, he realized that it would be politically expedient to court the church's favor. If they trusted him, then they could be excellent supporters But if he alienated them, they could be formidable enemies. Same thing happens today. Why do you think politicians with no discernible relationship with any church are suddenly best buddies with God? They have prayer meetings with the religious elite. Why do you think politicians who haven't attended church in decades end their speeches by saying, God bless America? They don't have a relationship with God. They just want the support of those who do. That's what Hitler did. After Hitler became chancellor in 1933, he struck a deal with the Catholic Church in which he assured the church of certain privileges if the church agreed to support or at least remain neutral to the Nazi regime. Protestant church was a little more difficult because they didn't have a centralized hierarchy. And so Hitler suggested that they elect a national Protestant bishop, which goes against anything Baptist, I want to tell you. (laughs) But he suggested they they elect a, a national Protestant bishop who would oversee the Protestant churches. And guess where that that bishop's office would be? in the religious affairs department of Hitler's government. Some of the churches were elated that they would finally get some input into government government affairs, while others were rightfully cautious about this unholy relationship. Many formed a group called Deutsche Christen, or German Christians, whose aim was blending Christian doctrine and German nationalism. And folks, that's exactly what is happening among many Christians in America today. As American patriotism is blended with Christian values in such a way that the line between Christianity and Americanism is hard to distinguish sometimes. And because of this Christian movement that stressed German nationalism, the church lost its ability to call the Nazi movement out as unjust. And so it marched right alongside Nazism to bring it to full strength. And those few Christians who did protest this movement, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Niemöller, they were dealt with with violence. And death. 
So do you see why Baptists have strongly supported the separation of church and state? I hope you see that. I hope you see the reasoning behind this. And that's why I don't want to go anywhere even approaching the union of church and state. It scares me too much. In our early years, we Baptists were the victims of a system whereby the church and state were wed. And we were the ones who felt the brunt of persecution by the religious slash political powers. And we Baptists wanted to make sure that this kind of persecution could never happen to anyone again. John Leland was a Baptist in Virginia who was thrown into jail for preaching the gospel without a state-provided license. I don't know what the state has to do with that. And so Leland took it upon himself to make sure that the whole idea of religious liberty was vindicated. Leland saw that diverse religious opinions should not only be tolerated, but also celebrated. You see the quote? that we have from from Leland on the screen. Government should protect every person in thinking and speaking freely and see that one does not abuse the other. The liberty I contend contend for is more than just toleration. The very idea of toleration is despicable. It supposes that some have a preeminence above the rest to grant indulgence Whereas all should be equally free. Jews, Turks, Muslims, pagans, and Christians. So Leland threw his support behind James Madison to represent Virginia at the Constitutional Convention only after extracting a promise from James Madison that he would push for full religious liberty. Leland once said that the government has no more to do with religious opinion than it does with the principles of mathematics. Let every person speak freely without fear, maintaining the principles that one believes and worshiping according to one's own faith, either one God or three gods or no gods or 20 gods, And let the government protect every person in doing so. Can you vote for that? I can. And the reason I can is because it's not the government's responsibility to propagate my kind of faith. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. But unfortunately, many Baptists and other Christians in our country today don't understand that. A recent study of 100,000 teenagers indicated that one out of three teenagers in America thinks that the First Amendment goes too far in granting freedom of religion and speech and the press. And they think that some form of censorship would be a good idea. Folks, we tried that in the early days of our history, and our people suffered for it. 
The colonial idea of government-supported churches where one church has the right to limit the religious expression of others, it was wrong-headed. And our Baptist forefathers and foremothers felt the brunt of it. So, where do we get this notion of liberty? Rachel knows because she preached about it just a minute ago. It's very biblical to all those little children. (laughs) It's very biblical. For you see, we point to the claim that every person is created in the image of God. Every one of us. And is therefore able to respond to God in his or her own way. And so that means if someone gets between our God and us, then that person or that entity or that government is in the way. It is to be where one does not belong. It is to put oneself in a place, in the place of the one true mediator between God and human beings, and that is Jesus Christ. If the government is regulating your response to God, then it is acting as a mediator between you and God. And I'm sorry, but I don't trust the government enough to do that. History has shown me that their track record is not that good. And this hones in on the matter better than anything else. For you see, Jesus himself is the agent of true freedom in our lives. Jesus. He tells us in our scripture for today that if we continue in his words, we are truly his disciples and we will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We are not free just by virtue of the fact that we are human beings. The Bible tells us that sin has made a slave of all of us. And it is Christ who has set us free because as the Son of God, it is Christ who has the power to make us into sons and daughters of God. But listen to this. And listen to it closely because this is very important. Christ does not force himself upon anyone. And he surely never used the power of the government to push his agenda. No. He simply offers himself to us and calls upon us to respond. If we want. But at no time does God ever coerce us to believe. And if that's true of God, then surely the government should never use its power to, co- to coerce its citizens in any matter of faith. Nor should the church try to use the power of the government to achieve its goals. So you see, the First Amendment strikes just the right balance in protecting the church from the state and also protecting the state from the church. Some of you may see how the church might need to be protected from the state, but you may be wondering, why does the state need to be protected from the church? Well, as the old adage um, goes, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. 
And I'm here to say that that is absolutely true. And history has shown that whenever church officials have the power of the state in their hands, those religious officials often become filled with their own sense of self-importance and they become tyrants. And today there are some very powerful people within the ranks of the American church who very well could become such a religious tyrant if they gained the right power. You see, their aim is to use the government to legislate their brand of Christianity. And that scares me. The modern version of this began back in the 1980s with the establishment of political-slash-religious organizations formed to elect certain candidates and to push certain political agendas, and it has been a slippery slope ever since. Churches in our own state of Kentucky have hosted partisan political rallies. There was a church in North Carolina with a pastor during the last uh, election cycle who told his congregation which candidate they should vote for, and if they didn't do it, they were, good, they were kicked out of the church. And unfortunately for many who call themselves Christians today, they show a stronger fervor for their nationalistic pride than they do for God. And in my book, that's idolatry. My friends, the people of the church should care about politics. Be involved with local and state and national government. But the church should not try to impose its agenda on others. And the government should not try to regulate what people believe. Nor should we allow the government politicians to take advantage of the networks of our churches to get their political agendas passed. A number of years ago, I was approached by a, one of those religious-slash-political organizations that wanted me to share my church membership role with them so that they could influence my church members to vote for the candidate that they wanted to support. But folks, let me assure you that that will never happen as long as I'm pastor here. We should guard this pulpit with all of our might and make it very clear that only the gospel is to be preached in this sacred place, not politics. Be patriotic, yes. I'm right there with you. But in this place, God comes first. Unfortunately, these days, the principles of religious freedom are under assault, even from within our own ranks. Brent Walker, who just recently retired as an executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, says that he's not even sure the First Amendment would stand the, the test of, of, of a vote among Baptists today. And I can think of nothing sadder than that. No, I can think of nothing more frightening than that. And that's why we need sermons preached and lessons taught dedicated to the preservation of freedom. Everybody's freedom. 
For you see, if we don't promote freedom for everyone, then we will not have freedom for anyone. My friends, it is the truth that shall set us free. And the freedom to tell that truth is a human right that each of us have an unending duty to protect. So let us not fail in our task of freedom. Let us speak freely. Let us worship freely. Let us minister freely in God's name, undeterred and uninfluenced by any secular power. And let us fight for the right of all people to do the same, regardless of whether we are in agreement with them or not. Amen. Let us sing together, 284, The Bond of Love. This is what it boils down to. I've been kind of preaching hard today, haven't I? I've been kind of jumping on things a little bit today, haven't I? But I think it's something important that we need to, to deal with, that we need to, need to talk about. And it is the truth that sets us free. We have a wonderful document in this country called the Constitution that guarantees a lot of freedoms for the citizens of this country. But you know what? Even in spite of that Constitution, there are a lot of people here in this country who are not really free. In a spiritual sense or even in a physical and emotional sense because they are entrapped by the circumstances of their lives. But we as Christians have a responsibility to them. Just as, just as much as we have a responsibility to our own families. Because God has called upon us to love one another as He has loved us. And you had better believe that God loves those people who are struggling with bondage today. Just as He loves us. And so, in truth, we are one in the bond of love. And that gives us a good, warm, fuzzy feeling. But it also fills us with a great responsibility for those people out there. And probably some in here who are feeling under bondage. Let's think of that as we sing the bond of love.
freedom of the gospel of Christ. Encourage one another every day to lead lives worthy of God and walk together in service and in humility. Let your words and your lives be one in Christ. And may the God of lasting love open the way before you. May Jesus be your instructor. And may the Holy Spirit lead you on to the promised land of God's kingdom and glory. Depart this week and every week, worshiping the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good to be here. Look at here. <laughs> we got we got our anchor back. Yeah, my anchor. All right. <laughs> yeah, you. I've, I've done this. You work on that. Yeah, I think she works. She works her schedule around Maggie's schedule. We had a good time in Florida though with our volleyball. We did well too. We play teams from everywhere. And nobody can believe that we did. Well, I'm proud of her. I'm proud of her. She played her hard. She had blisters all over her feet. We had played five matches in one day. Every one of them went three. That's a lot. She played her hard. Then we got to have a good time. Yes. Yeah. We went to Disney. How do you go to Disney? We got through. <laughs> I hate pulling all them people. Dude. I know it. I know it is a lot of people. Yeah, but we did. Beth loves it down there. Yeah, she does. Oh, yeah. Is she working today or is she just She's working today. Uh, and, uh, today uh, she's off tomorrow. So, uh,